Greetings, French family. Hello. We Welcome are back. back. Didn't you miss Calibri's beautiful face and dress? Look at her. She oh, looks great. You're the gorgeous one, my darling. Welcome back to the Ripple Roots Homestead, to the Bird and the Bee podcast. It's been six weeks since we've communed with all of you. Wow. We've been in upgrade mode. We've been upgrading everything, including the land ourselves the quality of this video the quality of this video if you haven't noticed <laughs> i look so hd our hair mine's actually in an awkward phase which we spoke of i did a little set for last night at our our open mic at the taste of the islands that was a nice um little segue back into the world ow that was uh H hit him with your uh with your uh, roast of yourself <laughs> from bill, the great bill king <laughs> Well, I was inspired by everyone telling me how much I look like Lucille Ball. And then we were talking to Bill King <clears throat> about wanting to host a roast battle. And um, he tells me, well, here, I'll give you an example, Calibri. He says, you, uh, you're like Lucille Ball meets Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. <laughs> and that's because of my mohawk and I have curly red hair. So, And, and Lucille and I, we do actually. And she's more of the cartoonish version what did you see the other day me? about like something meets like uh little house on the prairie i think it was like oh i said this yesterday i said yeah i said post-punk meets little house on the prairie yeah <laughs> yeah that's what i like i, I mm. like i don't know mixing up stuff like that and i'm like i'm like i'm the dark hippie guy that's my, my <laughs> so we were sent some um some herbs to try we got some companies sending us some right. supplies to try. Some uh, Kratom, this one was. From, from Indonesia. Yeah. Indonesia. None of that cheap Thailand shit. This is high quality. But we're trying it out, and we're going to see if yes. we like the company. We'll put it right here. So we're guinea picking for you all. If it, if it ends up being good, then we'll plug the company well, my, all next my, episode. My, our expectations are low because... Our one other kratom experience was uh, not the best. So as actually, long I've as, had two cents, and as, they've been wonderful. Uh, yeah, true. Well, yeah, but as long as we're not uh, nearly passing, losing consciousness, I'll, I'll approve. Because that one time we, <laughs> we took some out of some strange right. creek man gave us uh, some kratom to try, and I. I, I but don't we know. had been journeying on shrooms in the river all day in yeah, in true. the sun. And, and then he, we he had was a at par sunset. parasite of sorts. But yeah, I think he over, he overdosed. <laughs> Seeing the dose you gave me and then looking back to how much he poured in your cup. He I'm gave like, me a heroic oh, dose yeah, of was, Kratom, yes. Yeah, yes. that was bad. This is a teaspoon. Um, and it's uh, I'm, I'm excited to speak on it if it ends up being um, a fruitful journey for me. Yeah, it's supposed we'll to see. help with, at least the package says like, Energy, focus. Uh, mm, yes, because it's a blend as well. It isn't just the Kratom, which has had some issues lately, I've heard of. What uh, else Just is through in rumor with, in conversation with people that the FDA not only has not approved it, but is, but is uh, banning it or has banned it from or certain blends. or. I, from what it sounded like, he, the guy I was talking to at 7-Eleven said that they banned it, FDA banned it, but because there's other stuff in it. But I think I think that was just that company or product or whatever. But possibly, but it was this wonderful blend of kratom and um, kava. It might have had to do with the kava because uh, California already established that it was dangerous, that it can cause cancer. Kava, 
mm-hmm. and also a, like I went liver to a cava cancer. Bar. Honestly, no. I remember I went to a cava bar in San Francisco, and I remember drinking it. They'd serve you in these coconut bowls, and then uh, you know your tongue gets kind of numb. And but and I remember there was a book uh, at one of these tables that was about like the history of cava, and I was flipping through it, and had, it was like some of all these islands it was from, and there's like slightly different types. But whenever people drank it a lot, they would get all these like spots on their back or like like just spots right. on your skin but but it's very it's very heavy was, on the liver so yeah, you have to take a break that's ha- yeah that's like heavy high dose you, you right know, so that's why they deemed it dangerous is because it's it's very heavy on the liver but it's very good if you're bit if you're a binge drinker or um if you're trying to get out of using alcohol for relaxation having a cup of kava in the evening yeah, or whenever is it. just it, it wonderful it, yeah. it's very it's a great relaxant and then the kratom is sort of um I don't know how to describe my experience with Kratom. It's a little uneasy, but then it really settles my mind. But th- it has a threshold, a little like shrooms for me. Real interesting. Kratom is on the level <clears throat> of shrooms for you? Is that everything? Like a, like a little microdose. It, that threshold that you feel, you know, when you're going into... <clears throat> it kind of has that pull reaction uh, for me in a little I don't know. Way. Anytime I've taken it, even when we had that a lot high dose, I didn't really... I mean, I guess I was so focused on you, but, like, I didn't right. really feel anything. Other times I've taken... I, I mm-hmm. mean, we had that one blend I was, like, relaxed. That's how I feel with hemp isolates or or bud isolates, like um, the Delta 9 It does or Delta 8. It does nothing for me. That ain't... Not a thing. It's not any... It's not a... Well, okay, write this down. We'll tie this all back into synergistic uh, <laughs> effects versus monocropping deduction. We'll, this all tie back in, folks. This is the whole thing. This is our just a mirror. Yes. It's, uh, so our <laughs> overarching um, goal and energy of this episode has to do with uh, being symbiotic stewards of the soul and the land or the soul of the land. Yes, working and with it. Working with nature. Enhancing each other. Yes, and creating a sustainable place for all creatures, including ourselves and us all working together in symbiosis to yeah. find balance and equilibrium and to maintain that. Yeah, less less like uh, militaristic control and more, you know, free-flowing. Yes. So it's a together. holistic approach to life and to and we take that holistic approach into the way that we farm. And uh, we were at the library talking about uh, the nature of this episode and, you know, gathering our thoughts. We like to go and rent a room there and they have a big dry erase board and we like to just hash things out and research. And it's just a great (laughs) business meeting for us, so to speak, just to get out of this environment and more into like a professional setting where we can focus. So we're not worried about projects and responsibilities and distractions. Blank small room yeah like, but yeah, I was just here to work I was having a very difficult time I was I was at an impasse with myself because to distill down what we do here on the homestead and the homestead is is the closest word um Hobby that we homestead. can find or I don't really like that terminology or any terminology really because we don't follow any specific doctrine or um <clears throat> or mode or or um or practice, we, were, we create our own practice here intuitively through through um, a culmination of, of pulling from all the, the little nuggets of things that we study, yeah. including this uh, DVD that we watched. It's almost like uh, 
all these terminology because we originally were going to like we were just like okay when we're coming up with an idea for this episode we were like permaculture that's like the broadest kind of thing we do and then looking into that there's all these subcategories of things and like that uh yeah like regenerative farming or uh you know water resource management or or permaculture or food forest yeah. yeah stuff like that and then and so, yeah, speaking of this documentary we watched from the library, this awesome documentary called Inhabitants. Uh, yes, inhabitantsfilm.com. Please it's about, go uh, check it out. Pretty much native people come, getting back to their old ways of land management, just how they used to do things. Because they've literally been here for thousands of years doing it. And yes. Things so were, it's a natural things land were management. Great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which re- for millennia, for they, millennia, they've people, been practicing. Because they, they say, like, when colonialists came over here in their diaries and stuff, they talked about, you know, like, how, you know, how ample everything was. There's, like, so much fish in the river, you could just walk across it and, you know, just ample everything. But that's because, like, the natives, like, managed the land like that. And they, yes. like, and then I heard someone saying, you know, because then when they, they got wiped out, so they were making this analogy of, like, okay, all the natives wiped out, but they had all this stuff going. And then, so it's, like, pretty much you, like, the analogy was like the, you turn a factory on and then just like everybody leaves and then you come to it and then it's just like it just keeps pumping out stuff so when they got here it was just like like they're like oh my god i've never seen so much like abundance and just uh so i don't know yeah it's- so they tried to maintain abundance through balance practices working with um uh what we'll get in we'll get into that but i didn't want to get too far ahead of ourselves yeah, we were no, still talking excited. about i know uh but we were just upgrades we were talking about upgrades and needing a break for the newness and um all the the newness that we've integrated we we just needed the integration into our lives and to get a little bit more balance and symbiosis for ourselves uh because we were kind of stretched thin and we needed to find a, a good rhythm um but also spring is project time for us before it gets to be hellacious degrees in texas which it was what like 170 degrees a couple days ago we don't have as much humidity so it doesn't feel as hot today thankfully we're not melting hottest only hotter place at the time was the sahara desert was in our headline that's right we (laughs) had a heat index of 100 yeah we had a heat index of 119 Uh, i mean it was was crazy because of the humidity but as the humidity lowers, it, it doesn't, it's not as hot. Just the swamp heat city, dude. It's like, yes. everywhere you go, you're just drenched. So we were sitting in the library and we were thinking of all these, uh, this terminology and how we wanted to present because right. initially the idea of permaculture came from our friend Ben. He wanted to talk about innovative permaculture, which is essentially what we do here, but it's a little different because we don't follow that specific program and system. We Bruce create a Lee. system. You're the Bruce Lee of land stewardship. <laughs> I'm the you Bruce Lee of land stewardship. Things that, you know, cherry pick things here. This works great. And then what works for you? Yes. You know, and like, we create our own system from um, exactly. all of the ancient wisdoms. So this is where we were headed in our conversation was we, we pull from ancient wisdoms and practices and, uh, and, you know, steadfast, true to true to form practices um, from everything so we're the mixed martial arts of farming <laughs> yes yeah so when I we get a i was frustrated pitchfork right i was frustrated because I, I was like i don't want to represent ourselves inside anybody else's system because we have our own system here and how do we yeah. represent that so b being the angel that he is and he He's also a guide for me as we're guides for one another and channelers need channelers too. 
um, he comes upstairs with his DVD and says, hey, babe, look at this. What do you think about it? And it's this Inhabitants film. And I said, this is perfect, exactly what we needed. Uh, mm. this, is the, this is the missing piece and link. So that got us flowing in um, this free flow direction. Okay, this is how, this is where we want to go with it. Uh, yeah, because like similar thing, like when they're talking about how like the the Hopi people when that segment of it, how they were, they grow, they were the ones where their crops grow like super, their roots grow super deep, right? It's like, oh, it's it was so like, wonderful. there's some normal crops and we go like an inch deep, but there's, it's, it rains like six inches a year, but the roots just grow so far down. But, yes. So but then he was talking about how, because <clears throat> they, they have all these native traditions of ways they've been doing stuff, but mm -hmm. then there's people like, you know, who do all this labeled farming, like regenerative this or this kind of layout structure and they show this guy was giving a presentation what was his thesis? okay so like his a... name is michael kotutwa johnson and he's a farmer from arizona of the hopi people and he's also a representative of the hopi people farmers and um their tag is seeds are our children because they believe that seeds are their children and they're two he's a 200 200th generation farmer and his people have been farming this way for millennia, not just one, but multiple. And so this corn is over 2,000 years old, and it's an heirloom corn. And uh, because they use the, the moisture in the soil, in the sand to grow the corn, they can, he said that you can grow it even up to four feet down, and the corn will find its way to the top. Um, and it's non-irrigation. They don't use any irrigation. They use dry desert. It's called dry desert farming. And uh, this corn, the new corn, is planted about an inch down and an inch apart from one another, or six inches apart from one another. But their corn, they plant it at least six inches down uh, because their their rhizomes and their, their um, it, it, what do they call them? The taproot? No, it's like the the foot roots. Anyway, the really sensitive roots. They can reach out upwards of, he said, like ten feet, and then ten feet down. And whereas, with the new corn, it only has a foot bed of about a foot, and then you know it's only planted about an inch down. So anyway, he was he was getting his doctorate in uh, philosophy of natural resources at the University of Arizona, and he was speaking there. Yeah, he was giving this talk about how. <clears throat> because these other farmers use these labels and terms, they get funding. But yes. this Hopi way of doing it for thousands of years, which is they, they're just they doing what they do and just putting a nice language on there. And that's what he speaks on as a as a Native American. He is getting his doctorate so he can speak their language because they're they're yes. making up they're 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 coming up with their own terms mm -hmm. and all this stuff. So he's like he's like yeah, they're just making a whole another language that I'm trying to learn right. so I can. So you that know, he can translate the traditions of the Hopi people to the modern man so that they can un understand the importance of this type of regenerative living and living with the land. Um, and I just right. find him so noble, such a beautiful man. Uh, it, one of his greatest quotes from that was making us whole again. He was talking about uh, all of us that care about regenerative and also sustainable living are all helping us walking each other home, you know, making us whole again, all of us. Yeah, and that's just I, speaking on, because, you know, another <coughs> term we were interested in was Excuse food me. forest. So, like, you know, and then, but then it goes beyond just food because it's about, like, increasing biodiversity and 
which is about making the hole better than obviously food is a nice perk of it but if you can Precisely. You know, the land isn't being, da- you know, just drained. And the nutrients. food forest people of the film, there's fi- they follow five different tribes, and they're from different areas of the United States. And, and so they they skip to Hawaii. Hawaii is like the fourth or fifth. And they are the food forest people. And it's a lot like modern permaculture as you would know it. It's just, it, just as we do, we use an intuitive way of planning and... It's not as structured, but it's very structured. It's just structured no, yeah. within seasons and within um, the holistic flow of, of all life. It, this wasn't on the, the documentary, but I remember hearing someone talk about in the Amazon, which is a man-made food forest. But they were talking about, because uh, down there, like, they don't have the same kind of soil we do, ha- like, in North America, because down there, mm-hmm. all the nutrients, there's so many fucking trees and plants, like, everything's locked up in the, the trees. So what they would do is, like, you know, they they cut an air like an acre out and then um uh burn it so it's like all, you know all the nutrients gets back down in the ground and they would uh you know plant fruit trees there and then while those fruit trees are growing they'd have a garden and stuff and grow everything do that for like 10 15 years and then once those fruit trees are up mm-hmm. you know in the mean they uh you know then you got fruits coming out of there and they do another area burn that fruit trees garden and then so keeping that going and then so then as everything goes it's all like hand-picked fruit trees everywhere and like just you're like living in this yes like, and they and they do that through what they call prescribed fire prescribed fire and then also creating little ecosystems and on they call their um in their language they say hawaii is uh the island is a canoe that's what they say and so they're there to protect and nurture the garden in the canoe and and so um the people of the ethno botanical community garden um they they work on preservation but what they do is they try to create a community of people who are willing to overturn to turn over their yards to them and uh, revitalize it and create a food forest and they're trying to um, and which is essentially the same thing that we do here. So I just felt it felt so uh, connected. Um, and so what they do is they just they reimagine a living space as being a food forest. So it, when, where you walk around, everything is edible and everything helps each other grow and everything. Uh, you know, there's pest control because there's intercropping and there, which is where you interlace different um, companion plants. And, and we do that as well. And we've had a food forest that's brought brought it all back to the synergy. Everything enhances each other when one thing's flowering. There, and that's another thing. The whole fungal network of everything, like Mm -hmm. when like one thing's flowering, the fungal network talks to everything, and so it'll send nutrients that are needed over here. And you know, it's just it's like an information superhighway. It just it's amazing how uh, things are connected and like. So when you walk around and you listen and you work with the land and you hear what it needs and you hear what it wants and you pay attention to the behavior of the plant and you're like, okay, this plant doesn't like it here. We probably should move it where it would be better off. Um, what, yeah, we, what we noticed and what we felt Observe. through the encroaching of life all around us, because now we're sub-rural, we're not rural anymore with the McMansions that have gone up everywhere. Just like... I use the analogy of people on the subway in Japan. You have to, they say that you have to really create space within yourself because there's no space outside of yourself. And that's the meditation in order to be able to handle how many people are crammed into that train. And that's kind of how I was feeling here. I was feeling very claustrophobic. 
And so, you know, I like to sometimes just walk around the land and reimagine things and just feel and get vision of, of how we need to move forward and how things need to flow. And so I was like, let's push the fence back, babe. I think it's time to get more human space here because the chickens are so spoiled. They have so much area and they I've have the whole food forest to themselves. I've been declaring a territory war on the birds. I'm like, did you guys got <laughs> it's plenty of space? It's not a territory war. It is a reimagining. I'm sorry. I watched Chimp Empire recently <laughs> and I'm like... You're encroaching. I'm like, you got, we got to push them back. We got to. <laughs> You're sounding very patriarchal right now, <laughs> but, uh, you which spe- is the antithesis of what we're speaking. You're to. speaking on a density. I don't think I've spoken on this before, but you're talking people being crammed into the subway. It's like the same thing with those grasshoppers that uh, when they turn into locusts, they yes. and you get like a locust swarm. But that only happens when there's like a population density. They say like after it rains and there's like a every, like it, like a cornfield just takes off, mm-hmm. and so the grasshoppers are eating good, reproducing. And then, like, so they get more and more, but then the food gets less and less. So they're yes. like, they're like super dense and, uh, you know, just crowded. And then, it, like, something happens in their DNA, like some epigenetic switch happens where mm-hmm. they, they literally the same grasshopper can he'll turn into a locust. His like legs get longer, and like he gets I forget what else. His body just changes, and then they get mm-hmm. cannibalistic, and they just start eating people in front of you. And then it's just so I feel you know the whole idea I like that would compare that to a. Uh, humans and like when things when we get so dense you know you don't talk to anyone you're just like whatever you, you see people laying on the street because you're like oh i guess that's someone else's problem but that's like, when the apathy sets in yeah but when you're on yeah. a small smaller scale like you, you see people fit like you wouldn't screw someone over because you're face to face you know where they live True. like that's like you're you know them so so this is what i don't understand about science <clears throat> them understanding that when there's a perversion of scale uh, scale, yes. Right when there's a perversion of scale, things get imbalanced, and that's exactly what Michael uh, Katawa Johnson was speaking on. Was that the way that they grow uh, this corn is the corn is feet apart from each other, and it's in a massive field of sand, and um, you know there aren't that that many plants, but they grow like bushes, and there's there's a quantity of corn to plant is actually like fifty fifty ratio. So you actually get more corn on the one plant, and then it's more sustainable for the land. And then you you have pest control because there's so much space in between the plants. I mean, all of it just makes so much more sense. But you don't get the same scale of corn as you would from monocropping, of course, right? And I mean, we have corn three houses away, massive field of corn right now. And after we watched this documentary, it just made me so angry <laughs> looking at it. I was just so hurt. Knowing Um, how bad monocropping is? Well, just the history of where this comes from and and the price of that, which was the price of the, you know, the relocation of all these peoples. And especially in California with the Karak people, the Karak ancestral lands of California, um, and the uh, Yorak tribe, they do the prescribed burning. And there's, there's such a problem with wildfires in all the states because there was this propaganda of uh, Smokey the Bear, right? Oh, them yeah. telling you that wildfires Mr. and forest fires himself. are innately bad. And so they really successfully brainwashed everyone into believing that all fires are bad and all fire is dangerous and all fire is fatal. Um, what did I say? And that like, these uncle? indigenous folks are trying to get people to understand that the reason that there weren't outbreaks of firefighters in the forest were kept in balance back in the day 
and I try to even now to educate people is through prescribed fire where they go and they burn the underbrush and they keep the black land. They call it black land um, because that's what if if fire touches black land, it stops the fire. That's why you have like perimeter burns whenever there's big outbreaks of fire, uh, fire uh, forest fires. So what they do is they actually save the land. They restore the topsoils. They um, uh, there's actually insect control too, so they don't have as m- many invasive species problems. Also, they'll do it right before the uh, the acorns fall, which is a huge part of their culture. And then yes, so like when you do it before the acorns, uh, a when they fall, you can see them easier. And then yeah, it being it killed all the bugs are gone, and then uh. Yeah, it just like purifies the land and the yeah. the trees love it. It was really cool. The, the I'll put it right here, but some of the footage it show like a canopy uh, of of a forest and like smoke's coming out of it, but none of the trees are on fire. It's just everything on the ground. So it, yeah, because they say because the whole Smokey the Bear thing, yeah, like they would just you know put out and have no fires at all. And then and, and remember that one people there like it was like ceremonial to do it and like mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so then. And then, yeah, so you just have this huge pile of uh, just fucking debris. And then, yeah, once a, an actual wildfire happens, yeah, it's just fucking everything takes off. So it's just. Yes. So um, but yeah, the I way th- that we're managing our land right now. Hang is... on real quick. I remember I think I said like Smokey the Bear looked like uh, like Uncle Sam in like a furry costume. Or something. <laughs> he's, he's the same guy. He's just like, yeah. only you can, can prevent. For- he oh, say the propaganda is real. The when they thing. start using oh cartoon characters, we're fucked. They're like, I want you or like, only you. <laughs> Only you oh, can prevent forest fires. And then same um, with teddy bears. They put a bad name on uh on bears because like people are like, oh no, bears are so sweet, you can't shoot them. And then, but you know, think of a little teddy bear versus like seeing a bear in the wild. You're like, holy shit! You're like that's. I'll tell you the knowledge of of all of the um, indigenous peoples of this film made me feel so at home, and and the philosophies of all the indigenous tribes of this of this film. Uh, just going, just being stewards of the land is, is living with the land and not wanting to, managing it, but not raping it, right? And um, what, I, what I really loved about their ideas were that they still wanted to work with the very government and the very peoples that destroyed their entire way of being and living. And knowing that we all have to work together in order to have a sustainable planet. And um, one of the Karak peoples, she said, bow to each other's knowledge in some areas. We need to be able to bow to each other's knowledge in some areas. So there's not have our egos up our ass and just say, just just dismiss the other party because you're so married to your ideology. Like, let me hear you out. Like, you guys have been here for so long. Your rivers weren't, like, polluted. Like, maybe we should listen. Yes, know, and this is the way I like to live. So <laughs> so uh, back to um, how we would label ourselves is to just, we're just um, sustainable stewards of the soul of the land. We just try to uh, maintain, regenerate, and sustain as naturally as possible. And... Um, our food forest is is expanding and changing in, in so many beautiful ways already. We've pushed the fence line back halfway up the orchard. So we have this big open area and we're able to sit underneath the plum trees. And um, it just, everything feels like 
feng shui wise just it has this gorgeous flow and open energy that's uh mm, i just can't wait to push the fence line back even further and get the just push them way back all the way in the back paddock the chickens that is and open it all up we finally tore down the whole shed in the back of the lot got that platform up so i think right now our time is about Open minds and open spaces. I like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking about the fire thing again, I remember uh, I heard this one thing. This will transition into this other bison part, but they were talking. I heard this one thing about how Native Americans will, well, you know, they didn't use fence to fences to move bison. They would uh, they would burn like areas of grass and then uh that they wanted them to be in because they they say like after once the grass is burned and like regrows it's like mm -hmm. s sweeter to the bison like they like it's like candy to them almost so they'll burn it like once they're over like you know if they want them to move over here burn it and they just love the grass so it's like i don't know it's just it's an interesting you know because we when ranchers do cattle it's all the huge fences and like this huge thing instead of just like hey like how about we just entice them over here instead of like forcing them in like driving them in with horses and you know dogs and just like you know yeah it's almost it's so like <laughs> the imagery that comes into my head is just nazis like just like you know like get in here and like push them in here versus yes. just like hey like what's <laughs> what's what's creating how about you create an environment that gets them to go over there instead of like force them over there and like fucking yes so speaking of um the buffalo peoples that's the blackfoot yeah. in blackfoot montana blackfoot. there's a, a bison reserve that was only restored uh back in 1974 they started restoring the animals and what happened in the first place up there was that the white men came on the trains and they started slashing all of the buffalo um, because if there were no buffalo there were no indigenous peoples because these in the blackfoot they lived entirely off of the buffalo like their entire lives revolve around them so they slaughtered millions of bison it's very difficult for me to talk about without crying actually Oof, that was there are so many moments in this film where i just my soul had such a a challenging time containing the pain but um there uh one of their elders, his name is Irvin Carlson, and he's the director of the Buffalo Restoration, the ITBC. And his partner is Terry Dahl. And, um, and uh, there's this wonderful woman, her name was Betty Cooper, and she's a social services and helps uh, re-educate her peoples on the practices of Buffalo ceremony. And there was a moment that really, really touched you in that with the, with the little boys. Oh yeah, well, two th the little boys and the old men because there was a oh, the old one man, old yes. guy who was like eighty years old and he was like choking up because uh, he it was his first one that he'd ever been to and which it used to be like such a big ceremonial thing for their people and then so he was just here you know cause and then yeah there's like all these kids little little native kids that are all like you know I mean most kids are like struggling or lost or whatever but what once they saw like them with the buffalo they they just like sparked up and like wanted to like yes. know everything about it how to do it all this and then. They're like skinning it and stuff, and because I would imagine stuff like that just activates your DNA. If you're, your most definitely, your people have been literally surviving off that, and that's yes. like a big ceremonial thing. And then you're like just in this modern world, you never seen that. And then you finally you're like, whoa, I like. That. I'm like, I feel like yes. I actually feel something instead of just like mm -hmm. this kind of bland dopamine kind of right. society versus just like something so 
like uh, not cerebral but uh just real like like the other day like a couple days ago we we harvested a goat from our our friends at uh what is it calhoun farms and yeah like just you know they're i don't know if i'm calling her out but like that izzy you know she was the original the eldest was originally gonna she was like yeah i'm up for like you know shooting the goat taking him out taking the life and but then when the moment came, she was <laughs> same thing with the chicken. She got a little queasy, and I was like, "So I, I was even right." But I was like, "Okay, mm -hmm. I guess I'll do it." And then, which mm -hmm. I guess I was kind of more relaxed about it that way. But, but yeah, I got so. But it's still a one. It was still a really good experience. Yeah, definitely right for the children. And this is this is what I'm about is um, rewilding people and reeducating, including ourselves, obviously. Rewild. And like he said, activating the DNA through ancient practices or just human practices that we were doing for millennia before we were modernized and one of those is cleaning animals so i was able to bring the whole family of course the little one she had no, absolutely no interest in being involved with the goat uh but yeah, hopefully she still didn't seen a chicken yet so yeah but she's still 12 izzy didn't begin till she was 12 13 really um so I, mean, yeah, I think that's intense. going to be an initiatory thing this year with her 13th birthday kind of you know getting her to call her first animal. And this oh, is another thing about well, she's initiation. Seen, she's seen us do the duck, though. I forgot about that. But She did watch the duck, but right. that was probably the worst thing she could have seen because we were what? so novice in ducks. And oh. the whole, like, the you just one. cut the windpipe. No, and then she wasn't there. That was, that was easy. She wasn't there for that one, Adia. It was a, it was was, a longer process than it terrible. needed to be, yeah, though, either way. Um, but oh, Don't the, talk about that, Calibri. So with the Buffalo <laughs> Treaty, though, they call it the Leini. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's the buff the word for buffalo, lini, ini, and um. Remember those little kid notes? There's like little kids after their experiences, and one they're like on little heart pieces of paper, and it said, "The buffaloes were just like me." Or like, "I love buffalo," and they're yeah, like, or so bison, or whatever. They there's this beautiful woman, like I like I said, her name is Terry Dahl, and uh, and her partner Betty Cooper. They're social workers that work with the children and the elders. And um, I can relate so much to something that Terry had said. She said that uh, she was working with a group of men, and there was an 80-year-old man, and she said, um, you know, which number of buffalo ceremony is this for you? And he said, this is my first time. And she broke down in tears because she, you know, you just feel so much for human existence that's disconnected from our ceremonies and our sacred ceremonies. And it just broke her heart. And and that's what I'm saying. Like it breaks my heart also. So this so this practice of living, of sustainable living, it just like that just ignites me even more. It lights my fire even more because I would love for all peoples to be reconnected with the ancient practices of, of stewardship and how we're so not how we're supposed to be living on this planet, but how it works in holistic balance it's just perfect if we live this way we can sustain it forever but right now the way that we're just burning everything down and monocropping everything and um you know the bottom line is is production and growth and expansion and that can't go on forever you know it's it, the center won't hold right yeah, just by design like to to get to increase every quarter i'm like how do you not see it where that's gonna go like it's gonna fall off the rails at some point but yes. yeah and all, and all that and you know all the beautiful regenerative native stuff and then contra contrast that to you know mon you're talking about monocropping i remember I'll, I'll look up who said it but i remember hearing this quote reading this quote that said uh, a lawn is a uh, is nature under total authoritarian control 
because like every yes. blade's cut. It's, it looks like a goddamn buzz cut, not a piece of grass out of place. Yeah. You know, everything's super orderly, and it's like yeah, very government, very. It's like a military lawn. That's what I see when I see pristine green lawns and stuff. And right. but I got some stats about how uh, wasteful Ooh. lawns are. Uh, there's forty to fifty million acres of lawn in the lawns in the U.S. Yeah, so imagine not growing grass and if everybody yeah. grew something that's that's so that's so much potential just with that alone precisely uh one third the average household one third of the water goes to lawns just la- watering your to keep it green, green grass mm-hmm. yeah and i'm like none of it makes any sense all of it's very backwards and none of it's sustainable and yeah, just uh, for appearance you know you're not even growing it's you just no. to look like you're it's just for to be orderly to be orderly and ideal yeah you look uh right but whenever you look at a food forest like when you look at our food forest um everything is naturalized and everything we you know we're having to tame a lot this year uh which has taught us a lot about where we need to have just you know more more maintenance um less less clutter more uh just a little bit more order so that's what we're saying is like it's there's a full spectrum of this and it's not an, I'm not asking for an extreme in either direction, especially from ourselves. It's the balance between modern and ancient. That's going to keep us in balance right now because we can't, yes. we can't go back with the, the, that's what you're talking about the bowing to each right. other. Like we, we both acknowledge we bow good, to one another. and then yeah, let's meet in the middle. Not yeah. like keep, not go further this way and like yeah. push this one further away. It's like, the future is finding this, this harmonious balance in holistic living dude. where the modern meets the ancient and, and we can really h- help one another, wash each other's hands in it. Dude, it blows my mind. Th- Cause it's just crazy thinking about just living in the U.S. and how this, all, you know, used to be, you know, Native American land, whatever they, what they want to call them, Indians, First First Nation people, whatever. Mm. And that now we just, that they're still amongst us. They're just very right. small. They're pushed into these small reserves, which that guy was talking about. Natives, Amer- they don't even own the land. They're, he said they're trustees of the United States uh. government. And I was, I, he's like, I didn't know that. I thought... Like, yeah, this is your only, but it makes sense it's if called, they're like, here's your designated area. Take, you know. Right. It's called the Declaration of Discovery. Oh, yeah. And oh, so yeah. because of that, because they were discovered by people who obviously have more authority than you um, over your own lives and your own land and your own culture and what you do with yourselves, uh, which is ridiculous because no human has authority over another human. I'm sorry. That's a blatant fucking lie. And, uh, well, this is it's the gets same. me going. It's, it's analogous <laughs> to if aliens sh- showed up on Earth and we're like, "Hey, we found you guys. This is our planet now." And because we discovered you, yeah, like we we found you. So right. now you're under our rule and going it, yeah, to do like, what we say, it, and you can use the land, but it belongs to us because we discovered it. So so you're going to answer to us because we have the title to the land. You don't even have the title to your own land. Yeah, and then imagine they kill like 99 percent of us, and then. We're like, and then they just move in, and we're and we're like those fucking uh, aliens over there, man. They're like just think they own everything, but exactly. So yeah, it's a, it's right. It's just I don't know. It's, it's shameful. It's an interesting aspect of American history that. What's beautiful is that even with all of this, they could have such bitter hearts, and even with all the alcoholism and the, um, 
the deterioration of culture and the deterioration of health and the introduction of diabetes and, you know, disease and just how much the indigenous peoples have endured and survived and thrived through to have ancient practices still in place in these tribes just oh gives me so much hope it gives me so much hope because if we can raise these voices and we become louder uh that means that the the over the overlord voice will not be as strong right that um we can we can all raise our voices in sustainability uh, let me give an example of how easy it is just to change two degrees, just to turn the ship two degrees. So we haven't bought meat since we culled the goats, and that's been uh, over a week now. And we haven't bought eggs in five years. And my goal is to get us out of the grocery store and just get us into... Um, growing what we can here and then working with other local farms like we did this week and uh, and you know just creating a network of, of farms and a co-op where we can all sustain each other with whatever we grow and we can just buy and trade and barter with each other that's yeah and ideal. you don't have to to kill the animal like if you go to like a someone you know they will probably do it yeah. or you'll or you have to take it to like a butcher but we just end up getting it for free because we butcher it ourselves yeah we wanted to take part of it and it was our friend and uh and i, I love you know not love i don't want honestly the worst <laughs> the worst part about it is killing the is killing taking the life what but you know you have so much reverence and respect for the animals but seeing that and then i i always anytime I, we eat the meat i get so i i just think about that moment that day and then how from from field to freezer how like hours that was versus like yeah. who knows where meat comes from how long they, they, they got to ship it to the grocery store who knows how long it sits there until you get it and so it's like it's awesome to see how oh it just gives me such a sense of joy and accomplishment and i'm a goat fan dude goats all, I, I'm, goat I'm is a, amazing I'm a it's, fu <laughs> it's funny how i don't know it's weird how you, it's in american culture it's like not utilized at all but it's such a it's unbelievable to me. Like Africans, they eat a lot. Like don't like mm -hmm. island people. I mean, and they're yeah, so they low impact. Yeah, they sell goat at the Pan African Mart, but it's very yeah. expensive. So we're saving a lot of money right now. And Izzy, being Jamaican West Indian, I love that I'm able to provide her DNA with goat because that's such a and and also uh, Adia being El Salvadorian. So it, I don't know. There's so much pride and joy and fulfillment in it, and I just can't wait. I, you know, they, they say that it takes about eight years to really establish a homestead and and sustainability. And we're at year five and we're doing pretty well uh, with our own limiting factors and, you know, what's available to us as resources and education and whatnot. So I think we're kicking ass. And if we can do it, you guys, anybody can do it. I don't mean to sound preachy in these segments uh, by any means, but I'm very passionate about it. I mean, uh, passion, intensity, passion, intensity. <laughs> sustainability um i got this thing about when, when you're getting all worked up just the you know loss of culture but oh. there's like this henry kissinger quote from the 70s that says uh mm. if you want to control a nation control the oil 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 control the oil <laughs> if you want to control the people control the food uh -huh. and then uh what you know and then there's so much how much we fed them just bad diets but uh you know, there's like six six big ass companies that control ninety percent of like the food and grains. Yes. You know, and then a lot of and then and then speaking of this corn, I remember here ninety percent of like 
Okay, this is about glyphosate in Monsanto. Ugh. Like, glyphosate originally was like a. I think they said they sprayed it under like army tanks to like clean it or some shit. And then the, you know, so they had some. They like tossed it out in like a, some grass, and they were, they noticed that like it just killed everything. Nothing grew there. Mm. And then so they're like, oh, this might be good for crops and pests. They keep pests Jeez. off our stuff. So then, but then they made this type of corn that was specifically. Uh, div- just averse. Mm. It was immune to the glyphosate, oh, and so okay. they kept they bred that and made that stronger. So and they said so it's like so they spray glyphosate on these rows of corn, mm-hmm. and the corn does great, not affected at all, but mm-hmm. kills absolutely everything around it. And that so, washes into the water. And that's ninety percent of the corn that's out there. And so it was cool seeing that guy giving out he, the corn he was growing and when he was giving yes. he's like here take some take some take kernels some corn, go start he's it like, at home he's a real johnny corn seed he's like yes. spread corn, take it spread it and it's really it's really kind of fractal because it's like this one seed if one guy does it he gets a whole corn yes. kernel gets that's all more, we're all doing gives all those out to other people and it's like a fract it just it, exactly it's like exponential growth to exactly. so it's cool to see think of that one guy the impact of that is like ripples out ripples roots ripples the, the roots are ancient the ripples yeah. are are now and everything we do is planting a seed in the subconscious and the seed in society a seed in in um the totality of life because everything is connected you know holistically well and he was i forget who was saying it but there's one part where they're talking about doing like a drum circle smoke thing or then they're talking about like the rippling into the earth and yes. you know, they say this at like ecstatic dance and stuff like when they're mm-hmm. you know just to dance send this vibration into the earth mm-hmm. and like you know hopefully it ripples out tenfold into something butterfly effect type of stuff it does energy is real and energy effects it's funny how so many people will believe in that but if you apply love to that or anything people vibrate you know people are like ah that's a little corn but then well because but, it's been recanned and repackaged and and propagandized as being woo woo instead of being you know anything <laughs> naturalistic anything common sense is woo woo i'll find this picture but it reminds <laughs> me of this i had to post on my instagram a long time ago there's like I think they're actually in Taos. These in- Pueblo Indians, they're like on a river, and uh, one's like on a rock, the other one's on the rock like this, and it, and it just bathing in it. And uh, I remember my, my my caption was just "fucking hippies" because that's what people, but to them, it, I don't know. It's just funny when we people try to do that. The the yeah. stand the standard narrative people are like. Pfft. Right. What are you soaking in the sun? Oh, so we have to categorize and label everything in order for for to feel safe and to be able to make sense of our world. And uh, I just don't operate this way. So back yeah. to having difficulty and framing what we are and what we do here. It's just that I'm a I'm a child of the earth, and um, also a mother, and also in I try to live in deep reverence to uh, the mother and and to everything just to everything to the all even to those that have helped poison our peoples and poison our lands and they're just ignorant and don't have an understanding like i swear what you were just talking about is that every byproduct of war or industry uh has a secondary byproduct and it ends up being toted to uh and sold back to society as something useful and something beneficial when really they're just trying to get rid of a, a so byproduct evil. because it, of you know whatever their reasoning is it could be in, it, they don't want to pay the environmental dumping fines or like fluoride or vaseline just like vaseline just like yes there's so many things but yeah, this glyphosate this glyphosate um 
Oh, just just knowing that anything that you eat that has corn in it has glyphosate in it. Uh, yeah. Unless you grow it yourself. Hum- like, hummus. we have ancient corn. Hummus has a lot, too. I, try mm-hmm. to, I don't eat hummus because of that. No, we stopped eating hummus because we found that out. Did you talk about this whole idea about, like, abstractions and labels? I have in my notes here about the the Pinaha people. I think they're in somewhere in the Amazon, but they but their mm-hmm. whole language is, like, so they were describing it how it's almost like a snapshot of, like, the evolution of language because they're kind of like, we're up here. We deal with abstraction. We deal with, like, for example— but like abstraction, I mean, like they don't like they don't have like colors. Like they don't have like the word a thing for like red. It's like that's or the, they don't have a color for blue either. Yeah. Well, for anything, they're like that's the color of a cherry. That's the color of you know the sky or like even mm. north, south, east, west. Everything's like relational. Like they're like the river. It's like toward or away from the river. Like toward or away from the mountain. And like uh, right. so, it's really it's really interesting. Um, let me see. Uh, Oh, yeah, just even about abstraction. So, like, when missionaries would come down there, they would explain to them about Jesus. And this, you know, this guy, Jesus, kept talking about Jesus. And they're like, did you know Jesus? And, like, and he's like, no. He's like, did your parents know Jesus? He's like, no. <laughs> like, your grandparents? He's like, no. He's like, then stop talking about him. Like, I don't, right. we don't want to hear other about other people's, like, we want to hear, like, you. If your you direct experience. Yeah, if you didn't experience it, like, why are you talking about it, essentially, which it sounds so simple but that would go so far within our society like the whole like when you see those like uh abortion legislation things and it's all these like old white guys just like exactly like, why are you in yeah, my panties exactly you have no experience with this why so are you why inside are you my body regulating what other people can do yes but that's a whole fucking well thing, i feel like i just love that idea though how those people yeah they're very be, they're very the whole essence of be here now rom dot they're very much that because they're yes. like it's very here. Like, why are you talk? Like, we're here. Why are we even talking about something so far back? There are blatant uh, violators in life, and then there are those who are just ignorant and need education, and their minds expanded. And I love that the natives um, and these tribes people have taken up educating themselves and and trying to meet the white man in the middle. Um, Especially like Michael, like you were talking about the sciences, Michael, uh, he was talking about how it's so difficult for most tribes to, just like it is for me, I can really relate to this. It's almost like the equivalent of your Korean Han, where we feel Uh. like I don't want to, I don't want to speak the man's language who has enslaved my peoples, and I don't want to speak the rapist language. I like, I. A colonized tongue? I don't want to speak a colonized tongue, and I don't want to speak of their systems or speak in the terms and the tongues of their systems in order to be able to relate and educate them because of their ignorance. But this is something that's necessary and has to be done. So the more that we, um, are able to integrate our own practices and belief systems, but also be able to speak to them in their own tongue, even though it might disgust and be a bitter medicine to be on your tongue, which it is for me. Um, and I know it is for these people. Like the, This is how expansive love is, y'all, is because the love of the land overrides the pride and the hate and the anguish and the pain and the you know generations of this disgustingness that has happened yeah it's really to all of us all of us none of no one's exempt from slavery or from you know um every culture genocide my people's my scottish people's all my people's too right like every every culture has pretty much been subjugated to this corporate culture so every yes and it was sad to see those people those like buffalo people talk about like yeah i just never even 
Right. I just it's feel just like they're whatever. they're a non-beneficial bacteria that just takes and takes and overwhelms the the ecology and overwhelms the systems. Um, and we have to find balance with them. And I feel the only way I was able to do that is to just be example and live th- live my own truth. And my own truth is is um, very in line with all the indigenous peoples and practices. Did, did you talk about that? Those people learning that other language? It's, it reminds me of the, it was the same thing that the Hadza people, they have some people like that where it's almost like this weird kind of youth, like, I don't know. It's got to be like just a classic human condition story about, but, but the youth, you know, kind of going out to the other world, learning that language to protect their people. Like I remember there's one Hadza guy who still lives a hunter gatherer lifestyle, but then he went to like law school learn the language so we can help protect their people yes and uh same thing with the guy learning learning this science language so it's almost like a hero's journey type of thing going out to like help your people and like i don't know it's it's beautiful those people who take on that role yes exactly and i was just talking with roshni about this a couple of weeks ago she she always finds all this great information and sends it to me uh, especially on instagram you know of uh of uh grants and um you know government grants and and how to go about uh the the bureaucracy of becoming an independent and free human basically and um and being able to be sovereign. And so we speak on this a lot, and I've always wanted to be sovereign, though I claim myself as my own. I am a sovereign entity, but in the eyes of the government, I am not yet. And I've always wanted to go through all the motions of becoming a sovereign person and having our own sovereign sort of of community and our own uh, systems of living outside of that. So. Really, I don't know. This 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 inhabitants film has really lit a fire under my ass again, especially because of what we were just talking about. Them saying that, you know, you really have to speak the tongue of thy enemy, essentially. And it, it, I think it, it goes back to you have to know the rules of the game in order to play the game, or in order to win the game, or beat the game, overthrow the game. So it's more. And it they reminded me that it's not even about that. It's it's about working together, but. So uh, my whole point of this was saying that I'm, um, I've been really turned off by the paperwork and all of the hoops that you have to jump through in order to get these grants and to get funding and to get, att- you know, the attention that you need for your projects for sustainability and innovative permaculture and whatnot. But I think I think I'm really I'm ready to start, you know, slowly walking down that road. I just I have a huge aversion to bureaucracy. <laughs> But I think it's time to get really smart about things, intelligent about it, and, you know, kind of play the game, so to speak, a little bit in order to to gain more independence and sovereignty and abilities to be able to educate more people, you know? Yeah, I don't remember what the other uh, terms are, but yeah, I remember because there's, like, citizen and there's, like, natural something. But, yeah, there's, like, layers to, like, like, just regular citizenship was like the lowest one and like right so yeah i don't remember what they were but yeah it was it's interesting learning all that all those kind of i respect those people because that's the same thing those people who like learn the laws and the rule books and languages but who dive into this to like this is how you go about to you know i respect them greatly that's how you get through it so i respect them greatly it's not easy it is not it is it is a rough road especially if you are very if you're like me (laughs) Just leave it at that.
Hmm. Oh, I got a question <laughs> for you. Uh, I wanted to get to this. What's um, an early uh, experience you had engaging in the natural world that like lit a fire in you or, you know, something in nature where you're like, whoa, this, there's like more to this or there's like uh, wow. intelligence here. And I'll answer after you. I have always been in wonder and enchantment by nature. I've, I was grown in nature. I was born into nature. Um, I've had so many magical moments within my life and experiences, but the earliest of like a magical moment that I can think of with myself um, where it was just the most profound, majestic thing for me. Oh, God, that's so hard because then I, I think, well, it would be the redwood forest, you know, when I was just a tiny, tiny human or the petrified forest in, um, New Mexico or, uh, driving across the desert of Arizona uh, but, you know, we're seeing sunset or sunrise in Utah for the first time and just all these gorgeous, gorgeous moments. But I will tell you, it was at this vortex at the um, Golden Lotus Gardens in Encinitas, California, where my dad and I, we used to have Qigong and energy circles and drum circles. And we used to teach Tai Chi. And my dad would work with the monks um, that were residents there. And this is at the, the Pahapsanama Yogananda Temple. I have a difficult time with his first name, but uh, there's gardens. There's these elevated gardens, and they reach all the way up this hill, this terraced hill that has uh, all of these exotic plants and koi ponds and waterfalls and uh, meditation stations and uh, meditation paths. And you can see where the old pool had fallen off the cliffside. It was broken in half, and half of the pool was down on the beach, and... Uh, there was this place where my dad, he walked me all the way to the top after he let me soak everything in. And he says, come here, baby. I want to show you something. I want you to feel something. And and so he takes me to this open spot. And it's on the very tip of this cliffside. And it's overlooking the ocean. And I could feel where I entered into this energetic bubble. And I'm looking at the ocean. I'm feeling the sand on my feet. And I'm hearing the, you know, and I'm taking in all the nature around me. And I felt... I felt in that very moment like I was in the nucleus of this cell. And I, I, I like understood um, energy pathways and, and as truth for myself and vortexes as truth and, you know, like uh, hot energy hotspots in the, in the world. And I was very, I like to be very in tune with everything. But in this moment, I just felt the most incredible peace and belonging and wholeness with all things. And I didn't want to leave that little, you know, like energy bubble, that little place. So that was a really, really profound moment for me where um, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm never, I, I'm always going to be connected and I'm, I'm never going to let anyone train me out of these innate gifts that I have as a, as a human in connection with, with the all. Beautiful.
Thank yeah, you. don't let them stomp that out of you. Or train it out of you, or program it out of you, or or guilt you, or shame you out of it, out of it, any of it. Yeah, I've had a. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was a. Thank you for your question. Well, as you were saying that, I want to like yours. speak, uh, put like a little vision behind you, like talking <laughs> about the beach. But uh, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I've obviously had to, as an adult, something like with like on mushrooms. I remember one time, just being on shrooms at the beach on this river, sandy area, and like every time I would take a step. It was like it would kind of glow, like mm. color and light, and I was like, I don't know. Then, then someone told me that's like what happens on Avatar, like when they step, the, like, the thing lights up or something. But yeah. I'd never seen it at the time. But and then some other ones, but mainly, but mainly when I was a kid, I remember, you know, living in the suburbs of Fort Worth and uh, riding my bike to. It might have been this. I guess it was the summer. It wasn't to school. I think it was to our friend's house. But riding by my bike, we'd go by this like little back ravine thing and. There was like a field of sunflowers, and I remember in the, in the rising, riding past them. You know, they were like looking this way. I was like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And then I'm like, "Oh, those are cool plants." And then on my way back, they were like facing the other way. And I remember doing like a double look. I was like, "Whoa!" I'm like, so "I'm like, mm. I was like, oh, they really do follow the sun." There's like more. They don't just. They're not just like inanimate objects that are just there. I'm like, oh, there's like a thing to them. And I remember mm. that was like the first time I was like, oh, okay, there's like something going on. All right. Yes. I think mine was um, always as a child, and I was just speaking at the uh, the afterhang at our open mic last night with uh, a band of men about bugs and about wanting to be an entomologist and about micro worlds and being micro mini. And I think I understood it. I, I did understand at a very young age that there were worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds, and that you know it was unfathomable how many worlds within worlds there were. And you know, Dr. Seuss kind of explained that to me as a child, and then I also had um first hand experience with you know like Carl Sagan as a kid being on PBS and it was just a wonderful time to be alive I'm really grateful for the time that that I've been alive in on this planet I've seen in four decades it's just been it's been a wild ride really wild ride I went off on a tangent there but that was you got me uh you got me flowing and thinking Thanks for the question. I give it up to the Kratom. Thanks for our sponsor. <laughs> hey. Ooh. Back. How are you feeling? Are you feeling you feeling anything? Feeling groovy? Yeah, I mean I took a lot of I took some some uh, mushroom powder, some mushroom pills, some vitamins, some mm-hmm. little caffeine, some Kratom. So I got a good Yeah chemical not chemical uh, just concoction going on yeah i feel great i feel like we float a lot and, uh, i have a good blend a good happening it's a good time well, I, I don't know i about i covered everything i wanted to speak co- like cover bring up i feel like we cover a lot yeah. of ground is there anything you got any closing statements for the people thanks for coming back staying for us well to bring it full circle uh i just appreciate you guys sitting with us having conversation with us uh listening to our rantings and our and our soul speak and our, our yeah our hearts um glow with the talk of self-sustainability we bow to you we bow to you uh we bow to you (laughs) we appreciate you very much and um we'll just we're going to keep coming back uh each week now and uh, what i didn't agree to this (laughs) i mean i figured that's what you would want was just to pick up the the schedule well, I I know you don't like that pressure and blah blah blah. blah. So I'll, uh, I I don't know. Whenever Ooh. you're whenever you're we're up for it, we're gonna try and you know get some more interviews and conversations. So 
Yeah, I've really appreciated this um, this break and recalibration, rebalancing yeah, no, within I, everything. We have a smoothness now, just with the camera mm -hmm. and everything. Just the every, yes. the post production is gonna be way quicker and right. everything. So I'm and we're happy. seasonal so, people. So happy for that, but yeah, we are. Me too. We're seasonal people. So that's the charm you, of the, that's <laughs> the charm of the podcast. What you would expect from another <laughs> podcast might not be what we deliver, but if you do enjoy this and our flow and our and our way of being, our own fluid systems then. please like and follow and please subscribe. like follow comment. subscribe comment keep tuning in because we're just going to keep honing and and um and flowing and evolving That's love right. from the fringe we love you guys love from the fringe Mwah. give him a bow we bow to you bow. <laughs> <laughs> here's to sustainable living